HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. Today's program was brought to you by Union Beer. For more information, visit greatbrewers.com. I'm Erica Wides, host of Let's Get Real, the cooking show about finding, preparing, and eating food. You're listening to Heritage Radio Network, broadcasting live from Bushwick, Brooklyn. If you like this program, visit heritageradionetwork.org for thousands more. Hey, 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 welcome to Beer Sessions Radio on the Heritage Radio Network. I'm Jimmy Carboni from Jimmy's Number 43 and the Good Beer Seal. And today it's Tuesday, July 21st, 2015. We're in the middle of the 7th annual July Good Beer Month, and so many really great things have been happening. Ben Keene from Beer Advocate Magazine. How are you doing, Ben? Great, Jimmy. Glad to be back. He's been sitting in on shows with me all summer. We, we got the guys who won the American Homebrew Association Best in Show. So the best homebrewers in the world are here today, Eric Woo! and Oscar and, and Peter. All right, welcome. Welcome to the show, guys. Hello, hello. Thank you. And you guys talking to the mic. And uh, special guest, um, Mark Slogic, our our favorite Lagunitas rep who's been traveling half the country. And he brought in the brewer from Lagunitas Chicago Brewery. Um, Welcome to the show, guys. All right. And Mary Bauer. There you go. So I've read all my notes, and uh, we're really psyched to be here. It's, it's the middle of July. July's taken on a lot of special significance to us over the years. We've, we've promoted an idea called July Good Beer Month, and for many years, uh, Mayor Bloomberg gave us a proclamation, and a lot of good things have come of it. But one of the coolest things is that uh, in the New York Times, Eric Asimov has been writing kind of an annual summer beer Article last summer, he talked about a Berliner Weiss style, and he picked uh, Peak Skill Simple Sour, a great New York beer that, that we loved as, as his kind of beer of the summer. And we were really surprised last week to see that his summer beer article was about Goza, which which to me is is the next step. And uh, I think let's talk about s- s- sour beers in summer and, and Goza. You want to start it off, Ben? Yeah, um, I think that uh, first of all. It's really wild that Goza is the beer that seems to have captured everybody's imagination in the last year or two, um, given that it was almost an extinct style of beer. It comes from uh, a small town in Germany called Goslar, which is where you get Goza, which is the name of the river there. Um, and uh, it's, uh, <clears throat> it's, it is a slightly tart beer, I guess you'd say. It's a bit salty, um, and I guess the the origin there is that the water source in that part of Germany had a lot of mineral content because of mining in the area. Um, and so that's sort of how we ended up with this sor- sort of unusual style. And um, 
it actually turned out that American brewers, by and large, were the ones that really have jumped on it and run with it lately. And that's true, and uh, I, I love it. And it's amazing just how much sour beers have grown. I know that uh, Justin was down at a, a funk fest in uh, in Asheville, North Carolina, this weekend, and Captain Lawrence is, is hosting their own sour beer festival in September. So you guys, uh, home brewers here, you guys introduce yourselves, tell me your names, and we're going to talk a lot about what, what you guys did, all right? And their sour beer. Yeah. Uh, my name is Eric Norlander, and... Um I'm Oscar Orlando, Eric's brother. I'm Peter Salmon. <laughs> and you guys are, are homebrewers. Tell us what, what club you're part of. Uh, we're all part of the New York City Homebrew Guild. Uh, yeah, so we've all been brewing together for oh, five, six years now? Six years. Six years, yeah. Uh, talking about it for a lot longer before that, though. Great, man. And Eric and Oscar, too. So you guys are part of the same homebrew club? We are, yes. Yeah. yeah. And then what, what's the process of getting to... Uh, this the American Homebrew Association, uh, you know, awards category. I mean, do you want to walk us through that? Uh, yeah, I'm, the, I'm fascinated by it. I mean, I know you, I know you guys as, as great homebrewers here, and I've seen you at a number of events. And I think you guys won at a homebrew alley last year too, didn't you? Uh, this year, yeah, this year in New uh, York with City. the same beer. Yeah, uh, yeah. Uh, this year, uh, the NHC, which is the largest beer competition of any type in the world. Uh, they had 12 regional sites all over the U.S. I think they capped each site at 750 entries. They were up to, I think, 9,000. I think when all said and done, you know, how many actually got there was like 7,600 total uh, beer, cider, mead, uh, you know, entered. And then each of those 12 sites, the best three in each of the BJCP categories went on to the national level. So then you ended up with, I believe, like 36 in each of the, the different categories there. Wow, it's unbelievable. And first of all, congratulations to you guys. And we're going to talk more about it. But, yeah, what, what Ben said is you guys won. You were the best sour beer, but you also won best in show. That tells you kind of how far our sours have come. And, Peter, I know you're also a working brewer, too. Uh, yeah, I'm working at Brooklyn Brewery right now. Um, I'm actually about to change jobs, though. I'm going to be working over other half coming up uh, beginning of next month. But for you as, as a brewer and you guys home brewers, you know, what, what, what did it mean to you to make the, the best beer that was also a sour beer? It, it's still kind of surreal. <laughs> yeah. It does not feel real. <laughs> um, yeah, it, it's, it's kind of crazy. Um, this process has been ongoing. We've been doing a Solera in the same barrel that we got from their dad for four years now. Um, so we've started talking about making this beer eight years ago when their dad was making wine and storing wine in this barrel. Um, I moved out here and we started brewing six years ago. Six. Um, we really started getting into it and we got this barrel about four years ago, four and a half years ago, and we started cranking out a bunch of beer. But we first started putting Lambic into this barrel four years ago. It was July 20th, 2011. Um, so, I mean, it, that's that's part of how crazy this process is. All right. Okay, now let's, let's go on to Mary, Mary's, uh, Mary Bauer, the, the brewer from Lagunitas Chicago Brewery. Just tell us a few things about yourself. Sure. Uh, hi, guys. <laughs> hey, thanks for coming. <laughs> thanks for having me. Um, yeah, so um, I'm the head brewer at the uh, new Lagunitas Chicago Brewery. Um, we have been uh, brewing beer for about a year and two months, eh, three months now, um, out of the new Chicago Brewery. Um, I, myself, um, am from Chicago, um, the suburbs, and, um, you know, I, I actually got my start um, brewing beer with Anheuser-Busch, so I, I came from the big guys. Um, but I uh, learned to brew on a 15-barrel system that they had for, in the Research Pilot Brewery. And um, now, uh, yeah, then I moved out to one of their bigger facilities in Cartersville, Georgia. And um, 
was lucky enough to be able to get this position as head brewer at uh, Lagunitas Chicago and start up a brewery in my hometown for an amazing company. Like, it, it doesn't get much better than that. So I'm pretty well, pumped. That's great. Congratulations. And what, what was your training? How, how did you get into brewing? So I studied um, food science and chemistry um, at school at the University of Illinois. And, uh, yeah, I started with, with Anheuser-Busch right out of school. So um, I, and that's where I learned to brew for two years is at the, in the Research Pilot Brewery where they um, conducted their own brewing, brewing school. Everything was hands-on learning. Um, and we got to experiment with different recipes that, if they gained enough traction, then would be scaled up and went to the bigger breweries um, to be put out for mass, you know, mass production. Great. Welcome to the show. We have a lot to talk about. And Mark Slojic, welcome back, man. What's up, Jimmy? Thanks for so having what, me. What's your role now? You're, you're like traveling the whole country selling beer. Yeah, that's uh, that's exactly it. Somehow, I don't know. They they made the same mistake twice. Promoted me twice. I don't know. But uh, yeah, now now I cover half the country. I, uh, I kind of uh, develop our sales program for all of our one-off beers and weird, unusual stuff. Try to kind of spread what we do at our tap rooms in Chicago and Petaluma. And give the rest of the country a little taste of what we're doing out there. All right. And, wh- and what beers did you bring us today? Let's start with Lagunitas. What did you bring? Yeah, the, actually, the first beer that we're drinking is uh, our latest one-hitter beer. It's called Citrus Sinensis. Uh, rolls right off the tongue. <laughs> uh, we were right. joking around before. Every, everyone, after about three or four of them, starts calling it Sega Genesis. And we're, we're, to- <laughs> we're totally cool with that. Uh, you know, we're pretty used to mispronunciations. You know, Lagunitas, Laguntas, uh, Laguntas. <laughs> But anyway, I'm glad you guys are all here. This is a wild show. So, okay, now we'll get, everybody knows everybody. Does everybody know their names? We're all friends now. We're all friends. Okay. The first question I want to ask because it, I think it's worthy of, of talking about is how big a deal is winning the American Homebrew Association Best in Show? Ben. Uh, well, I would just uh, to give it context. I think it's a pretty big deal when they uh, when this contest first started in 1979. There were 34 entries. There were 34 contestants. So hearing these guys say that they beat 7,000-odd other um, entrants, uh, I think, is pretty impressive. And it boggles the mind how um, the Home Brewers Association even narrows it down from such a humongous pool like that. Um, but I do think um, home brewing has become more and more popular, and I think the sophistication of uh, home brewers has only increased over time. And so I think uh, the stuff that is winning awards at this point is, you know, pretty deserving. And a lot of people, um, I think, uh, end up going on to bigger and better things, too. Well, so, so Peter, Eric, and Oscar, um, how did you guys start working together as home brewers? Uh, uh, we, we've been talking about beer for forever uh eric and i were next door neighbors in junior high school so we've known each other since we were like 12 um oscar was the older brother um he looks older yeah (laughs) i I don't want to say it like that uh but uh so we would drink beer with his fake id when we were in high school and he was in college allegedly the theory um but he used to buy really good beer for us uh and himself um, and so we started off, you know, drinking beer a long time ago. Um, then Eric moved out here for college, and Oscar moved out here after college. I moved out here in 2009. Where did you guys grow up? Uh, I'm from Sacramento. Uh, we grew up a little bit of everywhere, uh, Bay Area, but, yeah, my mom was from Sacramento uh, at that point. Um, yeah, I started homebrewing a bit in college, so I remember that was, yeah, around that time. But I brewed just a few batches off and on. It was okay. But then about, like, 2007 here in New York, we decided, okay, let's start brewing again. 
and uh, we started taking it more seriously. And of course, when Pete moved here, uh, who had some pro experience, we tried to step it up a notch, start doing bigger batches, start doing all grain, uh, and start aging, you know, more long-term sours. So for the other award winners, and you guys can jump in too, you know, are there certain parts of the country where there's really great homebrew scenes or you think it's, it's spread equally around the country? Anyone can answer that. I think it's kind of everywhere. Yeah. I mean, it's such a big country, but, like, um, there, there are so many people in so many places that don't have access to good beer. We're lucky in New York City to have so many good beer bars. There's so many good beer shops. Um and it's actually a weird climate to try to homebrew because you don't usually have a lot of space. You don't have a garage, yeah. um, but you have access to so much amazing commercial beer from around the country. If you go someplace like Louisiana, you might not have the same access, but you can still order the same ingredients from the Internet. And that kind of levels the playing field, so you actually might have more of a desire to use your space and make a lot of really good homebrew uh, just to kind of balance out the fact that you might not be able to buy you know, some really good commercial beers like Lagunitas. Like <laughs> Ben, have you, have you uh, with Beer Advocate Magazine, have you done a lot of stories about homebrewing or homebrew um, shops? We run, uh, yeah, we've run a um, column on homebrewing uh, that's written by this guy whose name is Drew Beecham. Um, and he's uh, published a couple of books on homebrewing. The homebrewers gave it a thumbs up. Yeah, so he knows what he's doing. Um, he's been a member of the... What are they called? The Millennium Maltsters? What's the Star Wars reference? Uh, Maltos Falcons? The Maltos yeah. Falcons. Thank you. Great club. <laughs> really, really, really um, club. He's been a member of that group for a very long time. He was a past president. Um, and he has, since the magazine started eight years ago, done a homebrewing column for us. Yeah. And what about you guys? So, so Mark and Mary from Lagunitas, what, what do you want to say anything about the homebrew scene? Yeah, we've hosted actually a few of um, the AHA, AHA rallies um, at the brewery in Chicago. Um, so we're starting to, to get involved in that way, and uh, that was awesome. We um, raffled off a few super uh, small fermenters, and um, we had uh, just some, some brew kits to give out and things. So, um, yeah, we had over 250 people, I think, at the last one come uh, hang out at our basement, and, and it was a great experience. So, so we're welcoming everybody to our brewery as well to, to expand the love. Have you guys ever invited a home brewer or a home brew club in to make some little pilot batch uh, with you guys? We have actually. Uh, we did a beer, uh, one of our fusion series, which is when we usually invite some friends or, you know, it, it could really be anyone from anywhere uh, all over the country into the brewery to kind of brew a special batch with us. But uh, actually, Collar uh, uh, Surface from out here in Brooklyn came out cool. and brewed a beer with us. Uh, fusion 16, it was a, uh, a session IPA with pink peppercorn. Uh, and grains of paradise tasted really great, actually. And, uh, I think it was all it was all uh, uh, Kyle that uh, that was on the uh, grains of paradise. You know, wow. And one thing about homebrewing, I know that that a lot of you take the BJCP courses because without those people trained for judging, you can't have these big competitions. I mean, who, you want to tell us a little bit more about the, the homebrew scene? I mean, we, we have a lot of listeners, and we, we all know about it. We know we host the BJCB classes, but you just tell us a little more experience, because I think that what I love is that the same way we have so many craft breweries, the homebrew scene has grown like 10 times what it was. Absolutely. I mean, I'm seeing these homebrew competitions that, you know, used to have 100, 200 entries. They're starting to climb up to five, six, seven hundred 700 entries. Uh, in New York City, you know, has a couple nice homebrew shops now, when before you pretty much had to order it. Uh, unfortunately, one of the best here at Brooklyn Homebrew is closing at the end of the month, but you still got, like, Bitter Nesters here that, that do a great job supplying local, and I think all over the country you got so many uh, places where people can get ingredients. 
the internet's helped a lot. Uh, back when I started in the 90s, I originally learned on, off a VHS tape that came with my kit. And I remember just rewinding it, going back, like, what did they do there? And now, uh, just the internet, just be able to ask so many people... Uh, that's just helped, uh, you know, helped uh, expand homering all over the world. You know who created the internet? <laughs> Al Gore. That, that's going way back. And thanks to Al Gore, you guys can get it. Homebrew supplies. All right, worst worst experience ever in a batch of homebrew. Who, who wants to jump in on that one? I, I think it was actually a batch of mead. Um, Which yeah. is supposed to be oh, easy. Uh, or, so we had uh, we, <laughs> yeah, we were doing this cherry mead, and we had uh, some fresh cherries mixed up with the uh, honey water, um, and we hadn't added yeast to it yet. Um, we we're going to be doing something else with this uh, growler, as a half gallon glass growler, and we had it sitting on the counter with the cap on, and hadn't added yeast yet, so it shouldn't have been fermenting except for the fact that we added cherries. And uh, I wasn't home. Oscar was in the living room, and the thing exploded. Purple, sticky, liquid glass shrapnel all over the entire kitchen. I think it's still stained. We don't live there anymore, but it's probably still stained. <laughs> That's why you moved out. Oh, yeah. And then since we have, we have Mary Bauer, the, bre- the brewer from Lagunitas, Chicago, Mary, just tell us a few things about this beer that we're drinking. Sure. So we have uh, so we, what we're drinking right now is one of our one hitter series. Um, it's Citrus Sinensis. Um, it's kind of a tongue twister, but it is our blood orange pale. Um, so it's a it's awesome for summer. Very refreshing. Um, it's got about a pound per barrel of um, blood orange uh, juice in it. And, um, yeah, we use, um, we got Equinox, Simcoe hops in there um, as far as dry hopping in it, but it's definitely got a little bit of wheat in there, too, to keep it light and crisp for the summer. Um, So... Yeah, what do you guys think? And Mark, how do you how do you call this beer again? If you get drunk, Se- that's Sega Genesis, Jimmy. Sega Genesis. <laughs> Sega Genesis. All right, let's toast to that one. Hey, we'll be back in a few minutes and we'll talk more about beer on Beer Sessions Radio. All right, yeah. Son acquired Union Beer Distributors, which was originally located on Union Avenue in Brooklyn, but has since expanded to its present location alongside the English Kills Canal in Williamsburg, Brooklyn. Union Beer has grown dramatically in the last decade as the primary distributor of Anheuser-Busch products for Kings County, Brooklyn, through the hiring and development of the best people in the industry. In 2003, Union Beer acquired a powerful catalog of specialty brands, which immediately positioned them as the craft beer supplier to accounts in Manhattan, Brooklyn, Queens, and Staten Island. 
Union perpetually tweaks their portfolio to maintain the highest level of stylistic breadth with the most coveted brands available. Through the highest possible level of service, outstanding salesmanship of the ultimate lineup of brands, and a paramount focus on education on all levels, Union Beer has solidified its position as the only source for the best selection of beers in the 14 counties of southeastern New York. For more information, visit greatbrewers.com. Hey, welcome back to Beer Sessions Radio on the Heritage Radio Network. What a panel we have. It's the middle of July, Good Beer Month. It's uh, 2015, gentlemen and ladies. But it's a cool lineup. we got Ben Keen back from uh, Beer Advocate, the winners of the American Homebrew Association, Best in Show, Eric, Oscar, and Peter. And we got our Lagunese folks, Mark and Mary. All right. So we're talking about uh, winning the Best in Show at American Homebrew. And uh, so, guys... Uh, Tell us about the beer that you poured for us, because I know you guys are really great homebrewers, and I love your stuff, so thank you. Um, this is our Frambois. Uh, so this is uh, Lambic straight from the barrel, blended with uh, raspberry puree. Uh, we usually don't use whole fruit just because it breaks down too much and you lose a lot more beer. So we usually have been going for just a straight puree uh, just to lose less beer. Um, so it's usually the, the canned uh, fresh fruit puree, I think, from uh, Venture's Harvest. Yeah. Um, and so this is just aged warm for about two months or so in a, a five-gallon corny keg, and then we'll pull off all the sludge, get it cold, get it carbonated. Uh, we pretty much force carbonate and counter-pressure fill all of our beers now uh, rather than bottle condition just to adds a little bit of stability. The beer's already so dry because it's barrel-aged and sour, it's not going to really re-ferment anything. Um, so it's just nice, light, dry, barely fruity. I like it. Does anyone else want to try it to talk about the, the taste profile? Yeah, no, this is great. I mean, it's got that nice tartness, um, but it's it's very it's very fresh fruit tasting. I think it's uh, nice, amazing fruit character. Very fresh. It's also a little more effervescent than I would have expected, which is nice as a summery kind of lighter drink. Well, I could just say that it's uh, easy to see why you guys are winning things like Best in Show. It's an awesome beer. It's pretty awesome beer, and I, I, I love I love Goza styles and different you know Goozes and Lambics. And who wants to tackle that one? I know Gozes, German, and Lambics and Goose are Belgian. It's it's kind of an easy definition if you if you read a book like Josh Bernstein's or something. But who wants to tackle the the style differences? Um, well, yeah, uh, I mean, uh, the, the, the goose, the, the, the lambic one, is uh, traditionally, I believe, one, two, and three-year-old barrels blended together. We typically will do uh, one of our Solera, so few-year-old, with kind of a younger, fresher, sour beer. Uh, we don't have that many barrels. but um, And that one, uh, while a gosa, I believe, is more of a quicker sour, typically, uh, you know, more lactobacillus versus uh, brettomyces. So... Uh, with the, the the lambics and the goes, you'll get more of kind of a barnyard and a funkiness, while the goes is more of kind of a cleaner, easier drinking sour. I mean, also probably worth mentioning that uh, lambic's almost like an appellation, really, um, very specific to uh, the area surrounding the immediate uh, area surrounding Brussels uh, and all the microflora and uh, bacteria in the air that infect those beers that give it its like signature flavor. When you think of something like Cantillon. Uh, obviously, the the all time classic example, uh, but obviously a lot of other great beers that produce in the region. Yeah, I think a lot of brewers in the U.S. are calling their products sort of American wild ales for that for that very reason. So, it's sort of I guess in deference to the lambics of Belgium that came first, I suppose. 
And what about other styles of, of sour? Like I know a lot, a lot of new breweries are making like these quick kind of sour mash beers. Right. You want to talk about that, so, Peter? Um, so, yeah, there's a lot of uh, kettle souring and mash souring uh, where basically you'll allow the, the natural wild lactobacillus in the grain to kind of tart up the beer. Uh, and usually you're going to hold it at 120 degrees and let that lactobacillus kind of take over, and then you'll usually give it a quick boil to clean it up and then add hops and whatnot. Uh, whereas normally if you were to just add hops, it would pretty much kill most lactobacillus. Um, but you can usually make a pretty good kettle sour in you know a couple of weeks just because the tartness is made immediately in those first couple of days. And then from there you can ferment it with basically just ale yeast and you have a nice, light, clean, refreshing tart beer. I'm, I'm going to make a bold statement. I, I know that I, there's some classic sours I love, like Cantillon and, and Lambics, and I'm really getting into Gozes now. You know, is sour ready to be a category that people can really dig? Because I know there the, the big funk festival that, that Justin was at in, in North Carolina, a lot of people are making sours, but are, are they really drinkable? Are, are we ready? Are a lot of these people ready to be making sours? You know, do they need like a sour primer before they put the, the sours on the market? That's a bold statement, right, Ben? <laughs> bold question, at least. I can, I can vouch it is a learning curve, but I think the American public is definitely ready, or just the, the world public is definitely ready to see this. It was a pretty much ignored style for nearly 100 years and almost went extinct. And it was only in the 1990s when they started exporting a lot of the stuff from Belgium back into the U.S. that actually saved those breweries that were there. And... Um, yeah, there's tons and tons of information, like we were saying earlier, online. Uh, there's actually a group called Milk the Funk, which is really, really a huge information base where people are doing you know, spontaneous fermentations in their backyards and plating and culturing and really getting down to the science of it. It involves homebrewers and pro-brewers. So in short answer, yes. Yes, I think <laughs> it's definitely I, ready. And I would add also, um, so the uh, Great American Beer Festival is coming up in September. And a couple of years ago, a brewery in Denver called Crooked Stave started an event on their own that's called the Night of the Funk, uh, which comes right before the Great American Beer Fest. The first year, um, I think, you know, beer geeks flocked to it and had a good time. And people were kind of wondering what it was all about. I went last year. It was just as busy, and people were more excited about that than they were about all the breweries at the uh, Great American Beer Festival itself. So I think that speaks to its popularity. Absolutely. Well, I mean, funny enough for us, the uh, the next one-off beer we're doing is going to be a sour-mashed version of Daytime. So, yeah, I mean, it's certainly increasing in popularity, and uh, I, I think there's no argument that there's a thirst out there for sour beers amongst the uh, American beer drinkers. Um, you know, you're starting to see a little bit more, and we were talking about it earlier. It is very difficult for brewers to produce these beers in a lot of cases without compromising their entire system. Um, but uh, at the same time, you know, when you have breweries like Anderson Valley and Westbrook actually canning these beers or bottling these beers and making them a little bit more widely available so people can take them home and drink them in their homes, um, you're going to start to see a lot more people adopting those beers, I think. Yeah, I think we're going to be um, pushed as uh, you know craft brewers to figure out ways to be able to um, to, to bottle and, and package these beers because it, it is it's it's up and coming. So um, we're getting ready to in Petaluma do the, the hot side mash. So it's all it, it's all coming full circle. Right, and do you guys think that should should the category be called sours or should it be called wild ales? Is there a better term for, for this category? 
Um, I, I think that uh, sour is actually, I mean, there's been a lot of discussion on this. I think sour is a pretty good kind of catch-all category because you're going to have subcategories in every single category. The same way, you know, an IPA is going to have a few different subcategories and stouts are going to have a few different subcategories. You know, a stout is, you know, can be any type of seven different stouts, uh, whereas the sour can also be, you know, Berliner Weiss. It can be a, a fruit lambic. It can be an old brune. Um, or Flemish red, um, so there, there's a lot of different subcategories of it. Um, I think as we start seeing more and more kettle sours and uh, just some of the the faster things, I think those will kind of have to have their own sort of thing because they're not Berliner Weiss, but you know it, it's sort of a, a different sort of thing. But I think it could easily fall in the same sour category. It just needs to have its own subcategory. Great. So, and this next homebrew you guys made, what is it? Uh, what we're pouring now is this is the goose, the winner. Uh, from the same pool. Yeah, so this is a... Uh, can we curse well, on air? <laughs> Say it, man. Fuck yeah. yeah. I, I ran into a buddy yesterday. He said, you know, my, my choices in life going forward, it's either, it's either, you know, it's like, fuck yeah or fuck no. So, right, Mark? You know, you're on the same page as me. Glad to have you back, too. So this is it. So this is the goose. So tell us, this is like a classic goose. Describe that style to me. Because it's really confusing, I think with lambics, goose, fruit, fruit lambics, and other sour styles. Uh, so this is uh, a lambic is basically you know it's normally traditionally uh, spontaneously fermented and like a cool ship or something like that in a specific region of Belgium. Um, we're able to use a lambic blend of yeast uh, from Y yeast, uh, so we just get like the little smack pack from the homebrew shop, um, and that has a lot of Brettanomyces, uh, Lactobacillus, Pediococcus, and I think sherry yeast. And so we use that as our basic primary fermentation. We do all of our initial fermentation in carboys for about uh, four months or so, and then we'll add that to the barrel. So we'll usually – we have a 30-gallon uh, Zimmendel barrel that we got from uh, Eric and Oscar's dad. Uh, and so we'll usually pull off about 10 gallons at a time, immediately top back off with this about four-month-old uh, beer from the carboys, and just keep the barrel topped off at all times. And then we'll usually do some sort of blend with uh, some of the stuff that hasn't gone in the barrel yet with some of the stuff that came out of the barrel. So after four years in this barrel, it's pretty oaky. Uh, there's still a lot of, like, the, the rich red wine, fruity character. Uh, but it's mostly just the oak is just so intense, and it's really nice and sour. Um, so, Peter, you're, you're, like, working by day in a brewery, and then what, on the weekends you're making beer with these guys. <laughs> it's pretty awesome. You're awesome, man. <laughs> hey, Peter, have you, have you picked up any techniques uh, in terms of, like, any, any insights from working at Brooklyn uh, and obviously some of the more interesting beers they've done in, in terms of incorporating that into your homebrews? Um, a, a little bit. Uh, we've been doing a few kettle sour experiments, uh, so I've been wanting to kind of play with that a little bit more at home. Um, it, back to the whole New York City apartments are really tough to brew in, uh, so it's great having you know, a partial hobby uh, that we don't do all the time. That's part of the reason why we do sours is because you know, we just make something that we really, really, really want to drink and don't want to spend the money on. Uh, but there's so much commercial beer, beer available, and especially I get free beer at work. Uh, so it, it, you know, it's great to have this very specific hobby. Um, but because we get to play with barrels, uh, there's a lot of different barrel techniques uh, working at Brooklyn because, you know, doing black ops and stuff like that, we're doing 250 oak barrels at a time. Uh, so we're doing, you know, several, several batches and then just, you know, running through all these barrels and letting them age and then running back through and pulling it all off. So it's definitely a few things, but yeah, nothing I can really get into right now. And then anyone else want to say anything about goose versus lambics or... Anything else we should know about the style? Uh, traditionally, a goose is made from blending uh, traditionally three different barrels, one at one-year-aged, one at two-year-aged, one at three-year-aged. But at this point, like 
like uh, Peter was saying, we're doing a Solaris, so we are constantly you know, cycling in new for old and old for new. So we didn't really traditionally make a Goose, but we do have the blend of an old with a younger, and that's going to give you a character where you have the very, very oaky, you know, tart, older uh, beer, which you can then lighten up with the sort of brightness of the uh, more fresh malt, biscuity flavor of the uh, the younger. Do you know how far Sarah has, has come? Uh, what, Ten years ago when I opened Jimmy's number 43, I think the first time I ever met the Shelton brothers, I bought a keg. I don't know what size it was, 30 liters or 50, something like 30-liter keg of Cantillon Goose. And at the time, it was the only beer that didn't move. I think it sat on that line for a month. <laughs> and now the last time we were able to get Cantillon, which was last a year ago, we only had one case, six, six large bottles, and they sold out in like two days. So it's come a long way. But uh, hey, we'll be back in a few minutes with a lot more to say on Beer Sessions Radio. All right. I'm Harold McGee. HeritageRadioNetwork.org is a nonprofit organization, which means they depend on the support of listeners like you and like me. The best way you can support this program and others like it is to visit HeritageRadioNetwork.org, as I have, and click the Donate button to become a member today, as I have. Thanks for listening, and thanks for your support. Hey, 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 welcome back to Beer Sessions Radio on the Heritage Radio Network. You know what's so cool about coming out here to Heritage Radio Network in the back of Roberta's Pizza in Bushwick, Brooklyn, is that just a few hours ago, I saw Harold McGee, that great writer, <laughs> sitting out back with uh, Dave Arnold and the, and the kids from Museum of Food and Drink and talking about some secret project they have. So this is the place where it all comes together, man, whether it shows about chefs and food and, and beer and it's soon to be more cider shows, too. This is it. Heritage Radio Network dot Oregon. Cheers to Jack Inslee out there, man. Guy that keeps it going. My brother. Anyone else send any T-shirts in? You got a beer T-shirt? Send it to Jack Inslee, care HeritageRadioNetwork.org. All right. So here we are. So we're talking about goose and lambics. And so, so Ben, at uh, Beer Advocate, have, have you, you know, we talked about Crooked Stave. You know, have you done stories about other breweries that, that are doing uh, sours and other beers in America? Yeah, absolutely. Um, that's something that we've been paying more attention to as consumers and beer fans take an interest or have taken an interest in sours. Um, and I think um, because it is, um, as we were saying earlier on, it's a, kind of a, a new realm for a lot of people that um, they're just discovering the diversity within that broader style of sour. So it is a big spectrum between you know something like a goza, um, which maybe is a little more accessible and approachable, and then something like a goose. Um, which uh, perhaps is more complex and maybe has uh, more of a bite to it. There's a huge spectrum, and I think, um, yeah, it's it's fun to see people kind of they've they've tried the 
hoppy beers, the double, triple, etc. IPAs. They've tried the big, huge stouts. I think Americans like intense flavors. And so you've moved from categories that deliver on that intensity, and now I think uh, is sour's time to shine. All right, man. And I will say, I, I do like, I know that like Leipzig Goza, I love that. You know, traditionally from Germany, but like Six Point Jammer, Off Color Troublesome. There's, there's they're more like kind of like wheat goza hybrids. So it's it's cool to see new styles and stuff. So what are we drinking, Mark? You brought some cool beers for us too, man. Oh, absolutely. Uh, actually, we're uh, drinking the aforementioned daytime that we'll soon be uh, sour mashing with. Uh, but yeah, this is our session IPA, our fractional IPA, actually, as we like to refer to it, because everyone that, knows, everyone name, knows though, a session right? IPA, man. We do a fractional one. Is this one. the same as, the, wasn't there a dog pale ale, too, or something? Yeah, this- uh, we had a Dogtown pale ale originally, and uh, actually, uh, we have now we have a beer called New Dogtown Pale Ale. It's our year-round, year-round pale ale, and actually uh, kind of an adaptation of one of the original Frank Zappa beers that we did in, uh, in commemoration of the... Uh, uh, anniversary of all the album releases, uh, we got to make five of them, and uh, that was uh, that was one of them. It was Freak Out, and uh, <laughs> we decided to. We loved the beer so much, and uh, the uh, Zappa Family Trust had asked us, you know, to, to stop making the beers. It's a long, long story. Uh, you could uh, maybe tweet at Tony or something; he'll tell you about it. Um, but we wanted to keep that recipe alive, so we decided to kind of. Uh, I'll tell you, we've had Tony McGee on a couple of times, and you guys just just to backtrack. Ferment about it, the the other great show on Heritage Radio Network that talks about beer and fermenting. I know that you guys, Eric, Oscar, and Peter, have been on a couple of times, right? Uh, yeah, twice. Um, episode twenty nine and one hundred seven. So if you want to go real deep <laughs> into your you know homebrew recipes, and I have stuff. another beer. Yeah, come on. And then here, Mary. So again, tell us more about. So this is the daytime, the fractional IPA. Like, yeah. what, what is it? What is it like for you? So you're you're in a brewery in Chicago, and so you're you're making the styles of beer that were made in California. Exactly. You know, what are the challenges you go through when, when you guys are ro- you know rolling out a whole new way of life, right? For sure. So, like our our first uh, goal in Chicago and opening up Chicago is the flavor match. Um, is fill the pipeline and make sure that our beer in Chicago tasted exactly the same as Petaluma. Um, so, for us, we've done twenty two, twenty four different beers in the past um, in the past what, 14 months, 15 months, um, and have been able to flavor match them all, which is, which is pretty awesome. Um, we have a team of highly trained tasters um, <laughs> that, you know, we put through uh, all of our beers through triangles, um, where you might have two Petaluma beers and two Chicago, or two Chicago beers. you got to pick out which one is different, right? So if the uh, less than the majority of our trained tasters cannot taste the difference, then, then we're doing it right. If they can, we got a problem. So how are they considered so. trained tasters? Uh, they go through our training uh, program. So we have um, we have a couple individuals that have gone um, and worked with Siebel a little bit, that have um, worked at uh, UC Davis, um, that have really developed a, a good sense of, of sensory techniques, um, you know, attribute tasting and off-flavor tasting. And then um, they, in turn, bring that back and, and train our team as well. And you have to go through and um, some people, for instance, um, can't take – can't um, – can't smell or taste diacetyl it's we we know who's good at what and we try to um you know be able to to pinpoint those people if if we need to so yeah we have a pretty rigorous uh sensory and tasting program oh i I envy those people (laughs) (laughs) i feel like in this room these guys are are, are probably up to that task but and peter's going to tell us he probably is (laughs) i I just drink a lot actually (laughs) (laughs) well mark i'd like to know uh just quickly 
When you get drunk, does this become Xbox, Super Nintendo? What do we call this beer? <laughs> I, I'm going to defer to Mary on this one. Yeah, yeah. I don't, I don't know if this one has a has a game console name. Okay. Um, but no, this one's this one's awesome. I mean, it's four six um, as far as ABV goes. So um, you know, daytime you can drink a few of these and you know still get your work done that you need to do. Um, it's got an awesome aroma. Got some great tropical fruit notes, eucalyptus, a um, little bit of sweat going on, um, and then it also has you know the Mild bitterness, um, still there, but um, slightly sweet, and then crisp, crisp, cool, crisp clean finish um, that makes it, you know, great a great summer beer. Just um, awesome session session IPA. So I know you guys are on a roll. You guys are here for a few days in New York, and after this, where are we going, Mark? We're, we're heading to Rowland Hunt. Rowland Hunt tonight. Old school craft Hell beer. Hell yeah! And then talk about Chicago roots. So you mentioned you mentioned Mary Siebel Institute. But you guys, Loggerness has some roots in Chicago, doesn't it? Yeah, that's a fact. Uh, I mean, Tony is originally from the suburbs of Chicago. So, I mean, the way we always thought of it when we started out in Petaluma is there was always a little bit of Chicago flavor in what we did in Petaluma. Uh, and now that Tony gets to come back to Chicago, kind of, you know, build this awesome brewery and this awesome team of people. And uh, we get to bring a little so bit of that Petaluma people, flavor so back. His you sister, know? Karen. Yeah, tell, tell us some of the people that are active in Chicago brewery. Oh my goodness, uh, it's it's. A, I, I would hate to forget anyone. There's so many people out there that do such an awesome job. But yeah, Karen, Karen, Tony, <laughs> Karen, Tony's sister, Mary. She's right here. Who's Karen married to? Uh, Karen, uh, Karen is married to Ray Daniels. Of the sister, the, the ah, sister. See, program. getting tighter and tighter. Yeah, yeah that's right. Yeah, yeah we got we got good sensory training at Lagunitas, man. I'm just and, saying. And Mary, you know? some of the uh, other like food and beverage people in Chicago that are. You're getting to know that are that are, you know, you guys hanging out with or whatever. Just yeah. like build a little, you know, family there. No, for sure. I mean, it, the Chicago craft brewing scene is com- has totally welcomed us with open arms. So um, it's just it's growing like crazy there. There's all kinds of awesome breweries that are that are opening up. Um, we felt nothing but love um, from a Chicago standpoint. So um, so it's great. I mean, we're we're doing we're about we're commissioning our second 250 barrel brew house right now. So um, you know, two 250s running is is pretty pretty crazy. It's a lot of beer. Um, 1.2 million barrels when all said and done out of chicago alone breaking so, ground on a new brewery in california exactly a third yeah. brewery tony just announced azusa azusa is going to be our third brewery site so um yeah Lagunitas just keeps on growing it's wow, great that's crazy. what about you pete uh, what do you want to know? I don't know. How man. many brewers do you have, Pete? He's smiling. He's, <laughs> he's smiling, shaking his head. I, I, I just love hearing that sort of scale. I mean, I'm, so I'm working at Brooklyn Brewery right now, and we have a 50-barrel system, and it's you know more beer than I've ever made at once. Um, so that just to hear 250 barrels, uh, another 250-barrel, <laughs> and it just it's a lot of scale. It's a, it's so really now Chicago. Now we're talking about a little bit of beer. Beer advocate here and, and, and Mark from Lagunitas. Let's talk a little about beer travel. So we're going down in the south. You know, pick a couple of towns. You might not expect to get good beer and, and maybe a couple craft beer bars. You're telling me about something in Alabama. Yeah, I, I was actually I was blown away in Birmingham, Alabama. Um, I, first off, they have a really great local brewery there called Good People. Um, every beer I tried from them was an absolute hit. And I feel like in the same way that uh, breweries like Brooklyn and Kelso started up in Brooklyn and really helped develop the craft beer scene here and develop people into craft beer drinkers, a lot of these smaller breweries uh, in in these kind of places like Birmingham uh, are helping develop that scene there. But and I was blown away. There were a couple of bars down there. Uh, one called the J. Clyde, which I know has made it on the uh, the draft magazine. Which top, I, I think I'm on their email list. list. Yeah, yeah. Um, <laughs> I get J. Clyde. I'm like, hey, I know those guys. But blew me away. World class. I mean, you know, I put them in 
the same boat as 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 you guys at Jimmy's Forty Three and and Rattle and Hum and Blind Tiger and all those great New York City craft Definitely. beer bars. Uh, and another place called Hop City. I mean, it, it really blew me away. I mean, there's a lot of love for craft beer and a lot of people that are extremely knowledgeable and want to grow the scene there and that are converting those people into craft beer drinkers. Ben, somewhere else in the South that you wouldn't expect to get good beer that you, you've been to? Um, another place, so I, I agree, Birmingham uh, is you know percolating, and um, there are actually four breweries within the city limits, I believe, at the moment, in a good people being one of them. Uh, I'll jump over to Mississippi, the Deep South, another place people don't think really of a vibrant beer scene. If you go down, head down towards the coast, Hattiesburg, it's a little tiny town. Um, there's an awesome brewery there called Southern Prohibition. Um, they've only been around since, I think, 2013. They're putting out some great beers. Um, there are a number of cool bars uh, there in this little town that, I mean... Uh, I don't know. It's probably 50,000 people or something like that. Um, and uh, even there, I think uh, craft beer has got a foothold, and it's only going to grow. Um, so it's exciting to see. I think the South is a region to watch and one that's going to catch up to the rest of the country pretty quickly. They also, they also had some pretty arcane beer laws out there that they had to overcome in a lot of states. And, you know, you're seeing a lot of the changes, you know, in terms of um, – uh, changing legislation are, are coming directly from those craft brewers in those towns. It's pretty awesome to see. Uh, you know, I mean, Texas comes to mind immediately with all the work that Jester King did out there. Um, but yeah, I mean, it, it's coming right from the brewers. And yeah. Mark, so you're selling specialty beers around the, the eastern part of the country. What are some of the, the the beers that you're selling in these places? Yes, yeah, so, I mean, that we should know about. Well, I mean, obviously, you know, we, we always, you know, our bread and butter has always been our IPA. And, and to me, like, I always love to walk into a place with just a cold IPA. And it's like, you know, as, as stuffy as some of these beer bars can get at times, like, when's the last time you actually cracked one open and, and tried one? Because it's pretty darn tasty, man. Uh, I, I think I've had several thousand in my lifetime. We, we always have it at Jimmy's number 43. Thank, thanks, Jimmy. Of course. Thank, yeah. kind of and then our, 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 again, how big a deal of is it that these guys won the American Homebrew Association Best in show this year. How, how big a deal is that? I think that's pretty great. Let's let's uh, cheers them. Yeah, Come on, guys. Yeah. So I'll Peter, I'll Eric, and Oscar. So you guys, <laughs> uh, it's, it's your question now. Pick a sour beer that you like that our listeners may not have had that, that you'd recommend to them. Oscar, assume they haven't quickly, had. Quickly, though. Quickly. Come on. Quickly. Uh, um. Uh, Lindemans, uh, they are like they do a lot of sweet lambics, but their Cuvernay, which is fairly available, is a really nice dry lambic. It's pretty easy to get. It's half the price of a lot of the other ones, and it's it's very 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 good. All right, Eric, uh, Token, also out of uh, Belgium, they make a great goose. That's what I would recommend. Somebody good one, and they have a plum goose too. Yes. Yeah. yeah. Uh, I'd say anything from Cascade Barrel House out in Portland. Nice, man. Smart. They, they yes. I, haven't, yeah. I haven't had a Cascade in a while. Uh, everything I've had from them is really good. I was out of their barrel house and had like as much as I could drink before I got sick. And uh, <laughs> Oh, this is good. Well, keep going, Ben. Let's go. Mark and Mary, a sour that our listeners might like to try. Uh, so I, I got to give a I shout out. I forgot about Cascade. It's been a long time for me. I got I to give a shout out to one of, our, uh, one of our local breweries. Actually, a couple of them. I'm, I'm going to do two. Can I do two? 
Sure. Awesome. Sweet. Uh, Scott Vaccaro, if you're listening, please brew Cuvée de Castellan again. Please, please, please. Yes, please. Uh, they make a ton of awesome, September, awesome sour Captain beers. Morris is hosting a big sour beer. Absolutely. Yeah, worth checking out. Check it out on their website for sure. Uh, and also, uh, I would say Peekskill Brewery, and I know Eric Asimov wrote them up for a Simple Sour last year, but they do a ton of great sour beers. They have a cool ship in their brewery. Highly recommend anyone that's a fan of sour beer to go check them out, take a tour, see how they do it because uh, it, it's a really unique system and it's right in our backyard, right up, uh, right up in Westchester. Dude, Mark, you're like the beer uh, prophet, man. I love this guy. <laughs> <laughs> well, we had a great one last night from uh, Single Cut. We had the uh, um, Kim. The Kim, yeah. Yep. We had the Kim the Hibiscus Sour. That was and uh, that's like a, what a, a sour mash kind of beer, right? I think so. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah, that was pretty good. And Ben, last one. I would say I'm going to take it back to the south. Um, Wicked Weed in Asheville, um, I think, uh, has really lately led the way, and they have a dynamite beer, award-winning beer called Serenity. That if you haven't had, seek it out. Drive to Asheville if you have and, to. And I'm jumping to Germany. Thank Again, Peter, thanks for mentioning Cascade out west because you know what? I, I want more of those beers and I miss them. I had this weekend uh, from our summer of Goza, thanks to Eric Asimov for writing in the New York Times, I got in a Frygeist rhubarb Goza that just blew out. And that was one of my favorite beers of summer. So we're having a great time talking on the show, man. I hate to say it's time to go. July Goober Month is in force. Our last craft beer jam is tomorrow at WNYC. It's a green space. And Ben's going to be joining me. We'll talk about desserts and beers. Next week, if you're around Wednesday, July 29th, come to Jimmy's number 43. Guess why? The 7th Annual Good Beer Seal Awards, and people are getting together to recognize uh, craft beer bars that are uh, you know, doing the best in independent small craft breweries and all that stuff. And our friends at Gun Hill Brewing in the Bronx have asked us to, to mention their crowd brew campaign. They're going to start canning their, their beers. You can help them out. Uh, crowdbrew.com. Search for a Gun Hill. A worthy cause. A, a new New York City brewery is actually going to put in a canning line. And that's a pretty great story. And I'd like to thank our sponsors at Union Beer Distributors who have helped to bring this podcast to you tonight. Thanks to Mary, Mark, Peter, Oscar, Eric, and Ben for joining me here on the Heritage Radio Network. I'm Jimmy Carboni. Thanks to our producers Maggie Seiden and Justin Kennedy and engineer Jack Inslee. Thanks for listening. We'll catch you next time on Your Sessions Radio. All right, yeah. Thanks for listening to this program on heritageradionetwork.org. You can find all of our archived programs on our website or as podcasts in the iTunes store by searching Heritage Radio Network. You can like us on Facebook and follow us on Twitter at heritage underscore radio. You can email us with questions anytime at info at heritageradionetwork.org. Heritage Radio Network is a 501c3 nonprofit. To donate and become a member, visit our website today. Thanks for listening.